Congregation, we just sang of how the Lord's hand holds a cup that will be poured out on the nations. That is similar to the message that Jonah is going to preach to the people of Nineveh that we will see in our scripture reading this morning. If you would turn to Jonah chapter 3, we are going to read the whole chapter. Our text this morning is the first five verses, but in order to see all the context, we will read the whole chapter. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of our Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, Over the past few weeks, we have made it through the first two chapters of Jonah, marking the halfway point of the book. But as we read chapter 3 today, you may have noticed some echoes of chapter 1. That would be a proper observation, because many commentators have noted that this book has a two-part repetition of structure. You can almost think of this book as a two-act play, where each act has three scenes. We saw these three scenes in our first three sermons so far. Jonah's call and disobedience, Jonah's interaction with the sailors and their response, and Jonah's gratitude for deliverance from death. In scene one, we highlighted how the Lord called Jonah to be a missionary to the evil and suffering nation and city of Nineveh. But instead of being a witness to the nations, Jonah showed a spirit of entitlement to God's mercy, and disobeyed by fleeing from the presence of the Lord. In scene two, we noted how God was pursuing Jonah and would not let him escape from his presence. Even though Jonah was acting as a renegade, his interaction with the sailors ended with him being thrown overboard and the sailors worshiping the true God. And then in scene three, we noted how God preserved Jonah and resurrected him to new life. From the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed a psalm of thanksgiving for the salvation he had experienced. Throughout all of this first act, we also saw how Jonah's life was a type of the history and actions of the Israelites. The Israelites had also rejected their call to be a witness to the nations. 
and they would be exiled for 70 years before being restored to Jerusalem. Both Jonah and Israel had to die to their old selves and be raised to a new life of obedience. But the question left hanging in Act 1 was, will they obey and show a true change of heart? As we turn to the second act of the book of Jonah, chapters 3 and 4, we will see the same three scenes repeated. Today we are looking at scene one again, the Lord's renewed call for Jonah to be a missionary to the people of Nineveh. And in weeks to come, we will look at scenes two and three, the response of the Ninevites and how Jonah responds to their salvation. And just like in the first act, we will see how Jonah is a type of Israel, only this time of Israelites to come in the future. Let's begin working through the second portion of Jonah and see how in the first half of chapter three, the Lord renews his missionary calling to his resurrected prophet. This theme will be worked out in three ways. First, the calling repeated. Second, the message delivered. And third, the Gentiles' response. Let's dig in and hear the call repeated. As we mentioned in previous weeks, the Lord was not pursuing Jonah only for the sake of letting him know that disobedience hurts. No, God was pursuing him because he had chosen him to be a missionary to the Ninevites, and there was no getting out of that calling. So now, some unknown time after Jonah is vomited back on dry land, God renews his call to Jonah. But wait, why does God have to repeat his call to Jonah? God never told Jonah he was off the hook for going to Nineveh, did he? No, he did not. Even after God told the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land, his purpose for Jonah still stood. He was to go to Nineveh and call out against it. We have to wonder that if Jonah's heart had really been changed during his entombment in the belly of the fish, that he would have wanted the same mercy he was shown to be extended to the people of Nineveh. And if that were the case, then the first two verses of chapter 3 would be unnecessary. Jonah would have risen and gone to Nineveh as soon as he was back on the dry land. But that's not what we have here, is it? No. Jonah is still displaying the same prideful attitude that he had in chapter 1. Jonah continues to see himself as a privileged Israelite who is worthy of God's love and protection. And thus, he doesn't immediately set out for Nineveh. But God has not forgotten about Jonah or Nineveh. He still has a task for Jonah to complete. So he repeats his original call to Jonah. In the original Hebrew, there is only one word in the first verse of chapter 3 that is different from the first verse of chapter 1. In chapter 1, Jonah's identity is clarified as being the son of Amittai. But in chapter 3, it's his calling that is clarified as coming a second time. And then we have Jonah's calling repeated in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This verse is also nearly identical to chapter 1, verse 2. The only difference being the last phrase. Instead of saying that Nineveh's evil has come up before him, the Lord specifies that Jonah is only to speak the message that he is given. So will Jonah obey this time? Or is he still too prideful to bring God's message to a foreign land? Well, as verse 3 indicates, he does go. Jonah rises and heads to Nineveh, as the Lord has told him to do. But just because he's heading to Nineveh doesn't mean that Jonah's heart has been softened towards Nineveh. 
The only thing we can truly take away from Jonah's obedience at this point is that he learned his lesson regarding running away from God. It's impossible and pointless. He gets up to fulfill his duty, but we have no reason to believe that he has had a true change of heart. Only time will tell if that is truly the case. Brothers and sisters, is this attitude ever reflected in us? Although we would never admit it out loud, do we subconsciously think of ourselves as somehow more deserving of God's mercy and grace than other people? Are we hesitant to invite our neighbors to church because we're not sure we want their type in our pews? Are we so in love with the safe confines of our home that we shy away from everything that makes us uncomfortable? How many times do we have to hear our calling to be Christ's witnesses repeated before we're ready to be faithful to that calling? These are all questions that we need to ask ourselves seriously because our answers will reveal how deeply the gospel has touched our hearts. The more we recognize how unworthy we are of God's grace, the more willing we'll be to spread his gospel message to others. Let us be in prayer that God will create that humble attitude in our hearts. The second half of verse 3 provides some additional information about the great city Nineveh. Our translation states, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. These two phrases are challenging because they, as they appear in the Hebrew text, they are phrases that only occur once in the entire Old Testament, meaning we're not sure how literally they should be translated or if they're just expressions of speech. In the case of Nineveh being an exceedingly great city, the first challenge is that the word translated as great can mean great in size or great in importance. That feeds into the second challenge because a literal translation of the phrase would be that Nineveh was a great city to God. So should that be taken in reference to Nineveh's size or importance? We know from chapter 4 that God cares for Nineveh because of its great population. So we should let that color our understanding of this phrase as well. We should see and take this phrase to mean that God wanted his word proclaimed to Nineveh because so many of his image bearers lived there. It was of great importance to God because of its great size. The second phrase, three days journey in breadth, is also challenging to understand. Literally, it simply reads, a journey of three days. But what exactly does that refer to? Many suggestions have been thrown out by scholars. This could be an expression that simply means a long trip between Israel and Nineveh. It could mean the perimeter of Nineveh and its surrounding villages. Some have proposed that diplomatic visits to important cities like Nineveh required three days to complete all the customary formalities. But based on the following verse, perhaps the best understanding is that it would have taken Jonah three days to traverse the entire city and ensure that most of its residents heard his message from God. The main point of this phrase seems to be that, humanly speaking, it should have taken Jonah multiple days to complete his mission and spread God's message for Nineveh to the entire city. So if Jonah is still representing Israel, what point in their history is he mirroring now? At the end of chapter 2, we noted that Jonah being vomited out of the fish was a type of the Jewish people being released from exile and sent back to Jerusalem. So we know that we're sometime after that. But none of the post-exile literature that we have speaks of faithful witness on the part of the returned exiles. 
Yes, they had a time of revival under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, but the bulk of the prophets at that time were still calling them out for their continued unfaithfulness. In order to see who Jonah is a type of here, we have to skip over the entire post-exilic period and jump into the New Testament. In his act of obeying the call to go to the Gentile nations, Jonah is foreshadowing the work of Christ himself. Jonah's call was renewed because God cared for the people of Nineveh and would not let Jonah's previous failure stop him from accomplishing his God-given task. So too, even though Israel as a nation consistently failed to be a witness to the nations, God would not be stopped in reaching those nations. In this case, he sent his own son to the earth to pave the way for an entire new message of salvation. And that message leads us right back to our text and to the verse 4, where we see Jonah's message delivered. We saw just a bit ago that it was expected to take Jonah three days to deliver his message to the masses in Nineveh. But we read in verse 4 that Jonah only goes a day's journey into the city. Why? Is he trying to get by with a bare minimum to satisfy God's demands? That's a real possibility, but the rest of chapter 3 seems to indicate a different reason. The sense of verse 5 and following is that Jonah's message spread like wildfire amongst the residents of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh spread the word of the Lord faster than Jonah could himself. Jonah must have been shocked at this turn of events. He likely expected nobody to listen to him, but instead they spread his message for him. And what was the message that Jonah announced to the people of Nineveh? It is only five words in the Hebrew language, translated as, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is by far the briefest prophetic denunciation on record, and really the only prophetic words in this entire book. So that begs the question, are these words the complete message that the Lord told Jonah to proclaim? Or is this a summary of the message? Opinions are split on this question, but the whole narrative seems to indicate that this was the entire message that Jonah received from the Lord. I say this for two reasons. First, we saw in verse 2 that God told Jonah to call out against Nineveh, the message that I tell you. So it seems natural that the message we have recorded in verse 4 is the actual message that the Lord told him. Secondly, part of the reason why we think Jonah must have said more than this is because it doesn't seem like a mass conversion of pagans could follow such a simple message. But let me ask you something. Since when did mass conversions depend on the contents of the message proclaimed? We profess that only God can truly change hearts, so why not let that truth shine forth here? The simplicity of Jonah's message is supposed to highlight for us and for Jonah that the result of his preaching is the work of God, not man. God gave Jonah a simple message to ensure that Jonah would never be able to boast in the results. But even though Jonah's message from God was simple in length, it still deserves some unpacking to understand what was being proclaimed. First of all, we have the time period of 40 days. In the Old Testament, the number 40 is associated with times of purging. Think of the 40 days of rain at the beginning of the flood and the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness while the unfaithful generation died off. So the 40-day warning here in Jonah should be understood as a literal time limit, but it should also bring thoughts of wickedness being purged from the earth by God. The second part of Jonah's message 
is that after this period of purging, Nineveh will be overthrown. The Hebrew word used here has a wide range of uses, from a city being overthrown, as we see here, all the way to having one's heart changed. So which is it in this case? Did Jonah mean Nineveh would be overthrown in 40 days? Or that the citizens of Nineveh would have a change of heart within 40 days? Well, it helps to know a couple of things. First, this is the same word used in reference to what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, which we know was a complete destruction and overthrow of the cities. Secondly, based on what the king of Nineveh says in verse 9, it is clear that he understood Jonah's message to mean that God intended to destroy the city. And as a prophet from Israel, surely Jonah had this meaning in mind too as he declared the message. But was Nineveh worthy of the same type of overthrow as Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember what we said of Nineveh and the Assyrians back from chapter 1. They were a notoriously violent people who prided themselves on their ruthlessness. So yes, of all the cities of Jonah's day, Nineveh was the most worthy of being overthrown for her sins. But if this was simply an announcement that Nineveh was without a doubt going to be overthrown in 40 days, why did God bother with sending Jonah to the city itself to declare this message? Why couldn't Jonah proclaim from the safety of Israel that Nineveh would be destroyed for her sins? After all, that's what the prophet Nahum did. The fact that God sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh itself shows that God's message of judgment was intended to drip with the sweet possibility of salvation. Even though the message spoke directly of destruction, the people of Nineveh rightly recognized that the 40-day warning period was an opportunity to repent and be spared from destruction. Does this remind you of any New Testament proclamations? Did Jesus ever speak such a bleak and blunt message? After his temptation in the wilderness, Matthew tells us that Jesus began his ministry with this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of our Lord Jesus Christ is strikingly similar to that of Jonah. Although impending disaster is not explicitly mentioned, the fact that Jesus is calling people to repent implies that there is risk if they don't heed his warning. Jesus is announcing that the earthly realm that had been defined by the borders of Israel is being replaced by a new heavenly rule that will spread over the whole earth. And since the holy God will be actively ruling in this kingdom, this is no time to be complacent. It is time to repent of all unholiness. Just as the evil of Nineveh rose up before God, so too the sins of the unholy nations will rise up before the holy king of kings. And just as the plight of Nineveh prompted the missionary-minded Lord to send Jonah to call out against the city, so too the suffering of the nations prompted God to send his own son to call out a new message of salvation. Both Jonah and Jesus proclaimed coming judgment if people remained in their sin. So what will be the Gentile response to these messages. Back in our text, we read in verse 5 that the people of Nineveh believed God. This is another phrase that begs the question, what does it mean? Did they just believe that this was a legitimate warning from God that they should be afraid of? Or does it mean that they truly believed in God? Once again, the following verses of chapter 3 bring some clarity to this question. There we read multiple times that the people of Nineveh turned from their evil way. 
The Hebrew word behind turned is the most common Old Testament word for repented. So clearly there is more than just recognition of God going on here. Also the the phrase believed God is very similar to what is written about Abraham in Genesis 15. After God promises him that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars. Abraham believed the Lord. So we have very good reason to take verse 5 here to mean that the people of Nineveh took Jonah's message to heart and truly repented of their sins. But they didn't stop there. They didn't just give a verbal repentance and assume that God would change his mind about their destruction. No, their repentance was followed by action. From the greatest of them to the least of them, they fasted and put on sackcloth. These were the definitive signs of humility and sorrow for sin. And remember, this is all after just one day of Jonah proclaiming a simple message. We already talked about how the astounding effectiveness of Jonah's preaching points to God at work in them. But remember that God had been preparing the Ninevites for this very message. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Nineveh as a city and the Assyrian as a nation were in the midst of a downturn in their society at this time. There were internal power struggles between regional leaders and famines and floods were ravaging the food supply of the people. The people of Nineveh were not enjoying a comfortable life on top of the world when Jonah came to town. No, they were in a state of desperation. Knowing that all ancient people groups were religious to some degree, they were likely already wondering what they had done to remove the favor of their gods from them. And then in walks Jonah, proclaiming that their city would be overthrown in just 40 days. You can see how they were ripe for this kind of message. But at the end of the day, only God could turn their state of desperation into a state of true repentance. This episode of mass conversion in the city of Nineveh is a beautiful thing and is exactly what God's prophets had been calling Israel and Judah to do for decades. God's chosen people had so quickly turned to the false gods of their neighbors when they entered the promised land, trying to worship them alongside of the God who gave them the very land they were in. And even though they had moments of faithfulness under kings like David, Hezekiah, and Josiah, they never completely abandoned the high places of their idols, and they kept going back to them. Yet God did not give up on them quickly. He kept sending his prophets to call them back to the covenant faithfulness. After the northern kingdom of Israel was finally sent into exile, the author of 2 Kings describes their history in this way. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. The people of Israel and Judah had warning after warning of God's coming judgment, yet they didn't repent. Their pride as God's chosen people got in the way of humbling themselves before God. And this isn't a problem that ended with the exile of both the northern and southern kingdoms. No, this was also true of the remnant that returned to Jerusalem and continued on into Jesus' day. Last time, we looked at the book of Matthew, where Jesus mentioned the sign of Jonah in reference to his death and burial. But Luke also records Jesus talking about the sign of Jonah, and he captures for us a different part of Jesus' conversation with the Jewish leaders. 
in chapter 11, he says, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Here Jesus is talking to those who have rejected his ministry and his call to repentance. They keep asking for a sign before they will believe in him. But he responds by saying, Jonah should be enough of a sign for them. Jonah rose from his tomb in the belly of the fish and preached his message to the people of Nineveh, and they believed. Unlike the Israelites of old, who ignored warning after warning from God, Nineveh repented after just one day of Jonah's preaching. And now Jesus, the one greater than Jonah, is on the earth too. He too will be raised from the tomb, but the people of Israel still won't believe. In their stubbornness and pride, God's chosen people still won't accept the fact that they are in need of grace to be saved. I hope you can see by now how Jonah's specific calling to Nineveh isn't the only calling that has been renewed. Just as Jonah rejected his initial calling to go to Nineveh, so too Israel has rejected their calling to be witnesses to the nations around them. And because they rejected their calling, the blessing of the Lord couldn't flow out to the nations. And now, just as Jonah received a renewed calling to go to Nineveh, so too did God's chosen people. Only this time, it's not a calling to a nation with borders, but to the church. After Jesus ended his ministry on earth, he told his disciples in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the call for God's people is not optional. It's not something we can get out of by making ourselves unavailable to God. God will have his message of salvation go out to all the world. There's no getting around it. The nations of the earth will be blessed. But because of the work of Jesus Christ... God's people are no longer confined to one earthly realm that is called to be a witness to the world. They are now released into the world itself to point the nations to the light of the world itself. And the message that the church is called to proclaim is the same message that Jesus proclaimed. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you repented and submitted yourself to the rule of Christ? If not, then you will find yourself being condemned at the last day by the men of Nineveh, who repented at the preaching of Jonah. But the day of salvation is still at hand. There is still time to turn to him. I urge you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. His death and resurrection has made your salvation possible, if you but trust in him for everything you need. And for those who do know Christ as your Savior— Know that your sins are surely forgiven, and you need not fear this judgment. Christ has paid for all your sins and now bids you to follow him. 
May God's missionary heart for all the nations be renewed in us, and may we joyfully serve him by obeying this command. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, graciously grant that your word, which we have heard, may be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. Keep us from being conceited in regards to the grace that you have shown to us. Help us to recognize that we are no more worthy of salvation than our neighbors, and may that flow into spreading your gospel message. May your name be proclaimed boldly to all who will hear. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.